as I've already said, Tom, uh, that's tall, young Tom, who comes to church here. Tom and Annabelle are getting married just next weekend on the 4th of January. Um, they've gone the distance so far in their relationship, long distance. They knew each other um, from schooling in the, in the same town, uh, but long distance uh, has been the nature of their relationship. And I'm sure through talking to them and just through experience, those of you who are married will know as well, that they just cannot wait to be together. Uh, they can't wait uh, to uh, be married, uh, but even just to live in the same place would be a wonderful dream for them. Uh, for um, Nat and I, our story was quite different in a lot of ways to Tom and Annabelle's. I mean, we couldn't wait to be together as well. We were looking forward to getting married too, uh, but we were rarely ever apart, even when we were dating. Uh, we lived only a couple of blocks from each other, so even though we lived very, uh, we operated in different circles of friends, and we went to different churches and and studied different things at university, uh, we were nearby enough to see each other almost every day throughout our dating relationship. A luxury uh, that Tom and Annabelle certainly haven't had, and and maybe you share something in common with one or other of those stories. But even though we saw each other all the time and we, and we lived in such close proximity, we still couldn't wait to be married because anyone here who, uh, who waited until they were married to move in with each other will remember just how dramatic a change that is to actually begin to share a house with each other, to not have to leave each other every day uh, and to be able to replace the words goodbye uh, with goodnight uh, is such a lovely luxury to be able to enjoy at long last. And today's passage, uh, you might have noticed at the start of Revelation chapter 21, it, it speaks of a wedding, of a ceremony. The groom is Jesus Christ and the bride is this beautiful city. And, and it marks the coming union of God with mankind, where God and mankind will be together, no more goodbyes, um, always together in each other's pockets. No more goodbyes, not even any good nights. Uh, since darkness will be a thing of the past. And this is a promise of a future reality. And then the last verses of chapter 22 remind us of what it's like to be waiting for the wedding day. Come already, you know, bring it on. Verse 17 says, it's got at least three different voices saying, the spirit and the bride say, come. The one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. There's a scene filled with longing. Now, does the thought of Christ's return feel like that to you? you know, is it something that you just can't wait for, that you're looking forward to, that you're expecting as if it might just be around the corner? Or is it something that you just don't give any thought at all, perhaps? Does it have any practical purpose in the day today for you or for any of us? And what good can it be to spend our time and our energy longing for something that we can't control anyway? What good can it be longing for something that John was apparently longing for 2,000 years ago and it still hasn't happened? Now, I know that each year seems to go faster than the one before. Everyone knows that experience, but 2,000 years? That is a mighty long time, something like 70 generations. So today, the goal really is for all of us to be able to say uh, with John at the end, Amen, come Lord Jesus and to mean it, so that we actually are looking forward to the return of Christ and all that that means. So we're going to look quickly at why we should be saying, bring it on to the coming of our King. Uh, three points, they're not on the screen, uh, I'm just going to say them. Three points, it's God's plan. We should be looking forward to Christ's return because it's God's plan. 
because it means satisfaction for us and our deepest longings, and because it means the end of injustice. It's God's plan, it's satisfaction, and it's the end of injustice. So we're going to look first at how this is God's plan and how, in fact, it always has been. Uh, Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer that we've been saying nearly every week for a while now to say, your kingdom come. We are taught by Christ in the words of that prayer to daily long for heaven on earth, to long for God's rule and presence here on earth among us. Then here we come in the final chapters of the Bible to see uh, that that's exactly what is going to happen and there's no stopping it. Everything is funneled towards this point where God and man will live together in perfect harmony. And if we go back to the very first pages in the Bible, written thousands of years even before this, we see that John, who wrote in Revelation, didn't make it up, this idea of God coming to be with man. Uh, it's not an invention of you know, early evolving Christianity that you know, there's going to be... Um, that oh, maybe God and mankind would be together. It's actually just the way things always were from the beginning. It's the way things were built to be. We saw in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 how God came down and with his hands formed and moulded a man and how with his lips he breathed life into his lungs and again using his hands created a woman from the man to be with and to complement the man and all of this to reflect his image on his creation. But God didn't just place man and woman as his representatives on earth. God would actually walk with man and woman. And he walked with them in the garden, in the cool of the day. And then from that point on, unfortunately, the whole rest of the story of the Bible is a story of frustration. Because God who began with a particular design, uh, God began with a particular design and men and women have just kept pushing against um, and pulling away from God's love and His purpose. Uh, and this frustration, uh, all, this, all this longing that's been frustrated is summed up in our passage, Revelation 21 verse 3, just in these words it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, as if to say at last the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, they will be His people. God himself will be with them as their God. Isn't that the picture that we get early on in Genesis 1, 2 and 3 as the way it ought to be? Those same words, almost those same words, that he, they will be his people and God will be their God, becomes almost an anthem of frustration throughout uh, the words of the prophets uh, in the Bible. And so each of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who both prophesied uh, during the time of the kingdom's exile in Babylon, both of them, at least four times each in their prophecies, talk about how the fact that in time, the people will again be God's people and God will again be their God, but not now. Or at least that's not the way it looks or feels right now because of the frustration uh, and the sadness that's all come about because of human sin and rebellion. And so for John, at the time of writing, it's not so much anymore an anthem of frustration but just a, a painful yearning. Christ has risen. John knows better and more intimately than anyone that victory is at hand. But he's in prison. And he's probably the only one surviving of all his fellow apostles as they've been one at a time, been put to death even before his eyes. 
The church is struggling through persecution from the outside and from sin and false teaching festering on the inside. Then God in his kindness gives John this vision to lift his spirits and also to write down and share with and encourage the church. So we should long for this marriage to come at Christ's return because it's what God longs for. It's how he began things. It's how he is funneling things. It's the place it's going to go, whether you want it to or not. He will do it. It is his unfolding, unstoppable plan. And whatever God does, he does well. So we may as well get on board uh, and look forward uh, and say, bring it on to the coming of the Lord Jesus. So it's God's plan. I said that was the first thing we're going to talk about. It is also another reason we should be looking forward to this and saying, bring it on, is that it will be satisfaction for you and me, personal and deep satisfaction. God isn't the only one to gain from keeping his promises and fulfilling his plan. He invites us to get caught up in his perfect vision for humanity, for his glory and for our good. And so this final picture of being with him is one of absolute satisfaction for us. Uh, chapter 21 verse 4 of Revelation is that beautiful verse we've already honed in on a couple of times today. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. It's an end of everything bad. Well, that, you know, that's a satisfaction of sorts, isn't it, to just eliminate bad things? But it also marks a new beginning. It is something new. The next verse, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's a new beginning in that it's a return in some ways to the beginning. Adam and Eve lived for a short time in this idyllic existence where the Lord was both their God and their friend. And they had access to the tree of life which would feed them forever so that they would never die and they could enjoy uh, this life forever with God. And one of the noteworthy things that they lost when they sinned was access to that tree. It actually writes a mention in God's curse against them. In Genesis chapter 3, he says, lest they come back and eat again from this tree and live forever, we need to protect them from ever coming back. We need to guard against their return the end of Genesis chapter 3, God casts them out of his presence and he sets an angelic guard to defend against their return. But in these final scenes in Revelation, we see a return to the tree of life. The, the path is opened up again. Chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. We didn't read this before. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So there's this return to the tree of life, where not even only the fruit of the tree, but even the leaves are there for healing uh, and for refreshing. And... And we also see in this a return to that theme of water, uh, which John, when he wrote his gospel, uh, sort of majors on so much uh, when it comes to Jesus. There's a lot of things that you can drink, but there are times when only water will do the job. 
I enjoy soft drink, cordial, juice and beer. But when I'm thirsty, none of them will do. I can't even stand the sight of them. I just need water and preferably not too cold so I can get it down. Cool, running, fresh water. Nothing else will satisfy. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, uh, which we did read, it says, Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Even back again in chapter 21, verse 6, he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Isn't that unreal? It's a, the king, the omega, uh, the, what is it? The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. It is the king of the universe and time who bows to water those in need. There's another neat image of satisfaction in here. Remember last Sunday, not last service, that was Wednesday, last Sunday, time gets confusing this time of year, Last Sunday, I talked to the kids about the time that Moses asked to see God's glory. And God said to Moses, you can only see me if I shield you and allow you to catch the smallest glimpse from behind. Otherwise, if you were to see my glory, you would be destroyed by the unshielded side of God. But here we see God's glory unfold in a very different way. Uh, in chapter 21, verses 23, uh, 22 and 23, this is what John sees in his vision. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And so suddenly, the, Lord, the glory of the Lord, which would destroy you if, you if you were to see it unprepared, is going to be the thing at the end of time which gives light, light to our eyes uh, in, in a healing and, and wholesome sense. And so the coming of the Lord Jesus uh, will uh, mean the fulfilment of God's plan and purposes, but it will also mean self, uh, satisfaction for you and I. Every unanswered question and unfulfilled desire will be perfectly satisfied and there will be an eternity to enjoy it uh, and to plumb the depths of God's glory. Finally, we're going to look at why we should look forward to the coming of Christ uh, because it means the end of injustice or the coming of justice. See, the fulfilment of God's plan is majestic. The satisfaction of our souls and longings is, is like water in a dry land. The bringing of justice means healing uh, and a restoring of order. Chapter 21, verse 4, uh, that passage that talks about um, wiping away tears from the eye, um, etc. It shows that there is a context of pain. It shows also the heart of a loving and tender God who cares uh, for the needs of the, of the needy. Now, who wouldn't want this coming of justice? Who, who wouldn't want justice to come? Who would, be, who would dare be indifferent about that? Who wouldn't care if justice ever came? The people who benefit from injustice wouldn't want justice to come. The people who take advantage of the weak, 
people whose sins have gone undiscovered or or unpunished, those people aren't going to want justice to come. Chapter 21, verses 7 and 8, spells trouble for these people. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We can see why these people might not be looking forward to the coming of Christ. Here's a couple of thoughts. If you're not looking forward to the coming of Christ, uh, it could be a function of your privileged place in the world and in history. Now, you may just be a person who lives in relative comfort. You know, your classic white, middle uh, middle class, relatively wealthy. And so for most of us, the greatest injustice we have to rail against is traffic infringements that just seem unfair and overdone. But even they are deserved in their own way because you get them by transgressing the law. But there are people, maybe not like you, but there are people out there who suffer much worse injustice and unfairness than many of us. But we fail to feel their pain. It's easy to ignore because it's out of sight. And doesn't that show... Uh, at, at best a naivety, but at worst, like a callousness in us if, if we're just indifferent about injustice. I'm going to talk about politics for a moment, and this, you know, I want to... S- <laughs> Lincoln got a fright. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and suspect that this is, it's not particularly controversial to say that in regional Queensland, and particularly in churches, the majority of people tend to vote on the right or the conservative side of politics and not on the left. You know, the, the right side of politics is, is generally considered conservative. The left is considered socially progressive. And, and, and these are the people who often uh, push the envelope on things like sexual liberation and, and things like abortion and stuff like that. If you find yourself um, on the other side, uh, on the right-hand side of politics... Um, consider that one thing that the left-hand side of politics does seem to get right a lot of the time is compassion for those uh, who are the victims of injustice. You may think of it as a, as a bleeding heart knee-jerk response to injustice. Um, it, it may not seem like a rational or reasonable response to injustice all the time. But can't we learn something from a heart of compassion? Whether or not you agree with the methods of people uh, who find themselves on the left of politics, or or whether or not you agree with their policies, uh, can't we learn from compassion? Same-sex marriage may well be wrong, but what of gay bashings? That's not right. Young women seeking abortions may be wrong, but what of the lack of compassion and support that has led many to feel like that's the only option that's available to them. Now, I am of the opinion that oftentimes uh, these things are are the catalyst for our social progressives um, to push for change and for reform so that there can be be justice and fairness for people who are downtrodden and who feel trapped and weak. I do think also often they take things way too far 
uh, and start falling off a cliff in, in, in uh, pushing the envelope and pushing uh, really particularly unhealthy agendas. Can't we try to walk forward with both wisdom and compassion? Maybe we don't look forward to the coming of Christ just because we've got it too good. Maybe we've missed the plight of the less privileged. Maybe it's more sinister than that. Could it be that you don't long for the coming of the Lord Jesus because you are on the wrong side? Maybe you even put on a good show from the outside, but you have undiscovered or unpunished sin. There are a host of reasons why we may not be saying, Amen, come Lord Jesus. It is God's plan, but the history of mankind and even the history of you and I, I'm sure, for for the most part, is a history of uh, pushing against and pulling away from God. He may, it may mean, and it does mean, ultimate satisfaction for you and I, for those who follow Christ. But isn't it also the case that we're just too easily satisfied with other things? Screens, just the stimulus of screens, uh, is enough to, you know, keep. You know, even the need to go to the toilet at bay. The coming of the Lord Jesus will mean justice and an, in, and an end to injustice. But maybe we're not looking forward to it because our eyes are shut and our hearts are hard. For all of these mistakes and errors, uh, let's seek forgiveness. Because if Christ welcomed the thief on the cross, then there is hope for anyone at any stage. Whether you're ready to leave your life of sin uh, or just ready to admit that you haven't desired Christ's kingdom as much as you should, as much as you know you should. Here's what Jesus says. uh, Here's some of the final words in Revelation chapter 22. Verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. Verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Let's wash our robes and get ready. Obey God's commands and follow Christ. Receive forgiveness for your sins since Christ did die after all to free you. Christ may not come in our lifetime, but we most certainly should wish that he does. And we will have the joy, we will have the joy of watching his plan be finished and having our own souls satisfied and seeing injustice crushed with mercy on the last day. Let's pray. Our Father, we do want to confess that Uh, For many of us, we haven't longed. We don't long as we should for your kingdom. Perhaps we do, but we've longed for the wrong reasons. Lord, we confess uh, our sin. We confess our hardness of heart. We confess that we are too easily satisfied with other things. We ask uh, that by the blood of Jesus, you will wash us uh, and forgive us for our sins. Make right our wrongs. Uh, and lift up the needy and the broken so that they can be fully satisfied in you. We pray uh, that you will help us to live uh, with an expectation that you will return, 
We pray that you will help us uh, to lead sober lives, ready uh, for the return of Christ. We pray that you will help us to live with a sense of urgency in this year to come and to not let another year go begging or put any more time to waste. Father, we do pray uh, and long for the coming of your kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.